Brian, your lunatic friend, talking about Jesus and music, telling my part of the story that goes back farther than I can remember. So far, I've been so focused on my albums and the gigs that I did in the United States, I haven't mentioned my trips to Europe. And now that I think about it, I haven't even talked about going to Canada or Australia. And I'm not even going to try to put those in the exact order. But the first one I forgot to mention goes back to 1985. I just finished Have Yourself Committed, and I was signed with Ray Ware Artist Management. Now, Ray Ware was managing an artist already. His name was Randy Stonehill, and I remembered hearing his song on the regular radio. Had to be one of the first Christian artists to emerge. He was singing, Shut the dough, keep out the devil. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. And I liked it. And my first trip out of the country would be touring Australia with Randy Stonehill. I had my first album out solo, and nobody knew me from Adam. So I went as Randy Stonehill's keyboard player like he needed one. First thing I noticed when we got to Sydney is Randy would check into the hotel and unload his suitcase and put him in drawers in the hotel room. I'd never seen that. I just left my stuff where it was and went wandering around town. And Stoner, that's what I called him, seemed to like to hold up in his hotel room. But the first day we were in the land down under, Randy and I were crossing the street when he saved my life. It hadn't occurred to me that Aussies drive on the wrong side of the road, on purpose. So I'm just talking away and I step into the path of an oncoming truck. If Randy hadn't grabbed me at the last minute, I would have finished my career. And that wasn't the only near miss I took. We went to a reserve to see kangaroos, you know, up close and personal. And I was holding both arms of a little Joey. That's a baby kangaroo. And that's when I learned that they could still balance on their tail, lift their hind legs, and kick whatever was in front of them. And he almost took out my kookaburras. It was a good thing, because I can sing high enough already. One of our first concerts was in Brisbane, and we were doing gigs with a local band called The Reflectors. What I remember most about them is that the keyboard player used an ironing board to set his keys on. But The Reflectors were one of the first bands I had played with that was aware of how the stage would look. They had mounted four sets of Venetian blinds across the back of the stage and put lights behind them. It was stage lighting on no budget. And it looked cool. It's hard to imagine that I've been playing music for almost a decade and I never once thought about what was behind me while I was singing to who was in front of me. Back in my old band, we used to spend most of our money replacing the PA system. And it wasn't the only thing I would pick up from those guys in that band. They would say stuff like, oh, good on ya. And truth, mate, I'll give it a fair go. And I thought we were getting close when they started calling me Dunny. As a nickname, it was kind of short for Duncan. Until I discovered that Dunny was what they called the toilet, as in, I'll be right back, I'm gonna go to the Dunny. It was all in fun, and they would take us to places where we could try crocodile burgers and kangaroo steak. It all tasted like dry chicken and a little gamey. I don't remember much about the concerts, except that the reflectors backed up Randy Stonehill, and I would sing a five-song set in the middle. An interesting note here is that the promoter of the national concerts in Australia was David Smallbone. He had a big family at the time, and I don't think that he was making ends meet doing concerts. He would eventually move to Nashville with his family and start managing his own daughter. As a Christian artist, she would be known as Rebecca St. James. And even later, he'd have another couple of his kids start a group called For King and Country. And who knew that nine years from this tour, I would do a tour with Bob Carlisle and Rebecca St. James. But in the meantime, I would go back to my country and start going over the border to Canada. I was always suspect, looking like a musician, dressed in black, sunglasses, earring, and spiked hair. Going through customs, I learned 
learned to keep my vitamins in a correctly labeled bottle. I also remember leaving Canada with a huge box of salt and vinegar potato chips because you couldn't get them in the States. I loved them. But in customs, I know they thought I was a drug dealer and why would I be carrying an entire box of potato chips? There was another time when I was playing a concert in Moncton, New Brunswick, going through New York City. Back when I used to carry a keyboard with me, I had a DX7 not ever show up in Canada. Never did find it. That's when I started requiring a keyboard to be there when I got there. I don't remember much about the concerts. Biggest one I ever did there was in Toronto. It was a festival. First time I ever saw a Kansas band member, Kerry Livgren, with his new Christian band, AD. And I remember standing backstage when Leon Patillo went on. He had an all-white girl band dressed in white satin jumpsuits. They sounded great, but it went over like a lead balloon. I remember the guys in the backstage area saying, look, it's the Chastity Four. It was just a little too entertaining for Christian music. Long story short about Canada, I met the Temptations twice going through customs and a famous local group called Glass Tiger in the men's room. They had done the theme song for a Rocky movie and it would be the last time I ran into Larry Norman at the airport in Toronto. I remember him saying that he wasn't feeling well. He would have a heart attack in 1992. Now I made several trips to Europe mostly to play festival dates. The most memorable was in Norway in a little town called Karagira and yeah it took me a long time to pronounce it right. First time I was there was with Andre Crouch and the Disciples, Res Band, and another group called Koinonia. I would use a local Norwegian band, and I learned how to say De Fint Ovarahar, which means it's good to be here, and thanks a lot, which was Tusentak. What I remember most was living on coffee and pastries in the morning because I didn't recognize most of the food. It looked like lunch meat and fish, and I would notice that the locals would eat french fries with mayonnaise. It was on a fjord in Norway where I got to hang out with Andre Crouch for about 40 minutes. We were taking a boat over to an island for a Norwegian picnic. I'm not sure why it was just me and Andre on that sailboat, but it would be the last time I saw him too. I would later sing on the My Tribute record that won a Grammy Award, and a few years later I would sing at his memorial service. Andre Crouch might have been the one acceptable artist to cross all genres of Christian music. His songs were everywhere in black and white churches, and I would sing at his memorial service decades later in Los Angeles. Now back in Norway, I got a good response from the Norwegians. Of course, I looked like one of them. I even remember being in a store and scaring somebody when they started speaking to me in Norwegian, and I answered them in English. But on stage, I got such a good response, they were calling me the Prince of Norway. I would also play a few smaller dates in Denmark and Switzerland, but until the success of the Mercy album, I had never been invited to the Flavo Festival in Holland, and they would pay to have my entire band come over. But the big surprise when we got there was meeting a group from America, a four-piece vocal group called Anointed. They were doing their own set on the same night, along with the five blind boys of Alabama, a group from Sacramento, California called the 77s, and Charlie Peacock, as I recall. Upon arrival at the festival site, I would meet Steve and Daedra Crawford, brother and sister, along with Nisi Walls and Mary Tiller. And I was astonished when they started singing one of my songs in four-part harmony. Turns out they knew all of my songs. In fact, they knew them so well that I invited them to sing on my set. And we would eventually do an entire tour, and Crystal Lewis would join us on that tour. You can see a whole presentation on YouTube. Just type in Brian Duncan Mercy Alive Full Concert 1993. It's the best snapshot of that year that I could give you. 
Trying to remember the details of a thousand concerts or more feels like going through a junk drawer. I would often stick to the same set list on tours, like most artists do on tour. That's why the meanings of the songs that I tell when I'm writing the songs and recording them is where the impact of Jesus in my life really stands out. The real power isn't in the activity. It's in the heart before you start. Until my career started to slow down, I don't think I had the time to listen to what my songs meant to other people. It's encouraging to hear from people now, and I'm glad I lived long enough to listen. And thank you for listening as I look back now. You can ask questions about my road life on the comments under any of these posts in Jesus and Music. Who knows, maybe it'll rekindle my recollection.